Paul Tillich in his book, The Courage to Be, says, you only really have two choices of systems for courage, uh, and that is Christianity or Stoicism. But that doesn't seem like many choices, really. There's only two choices. Uh -huh. I think there could be a third Pythagoreanism. Uh -huh. So we're going to read from uh, another fragment, uh, fragments of the Pythagoreans uh -huh, from Thomas Taylor, to see if there's a third choice from Cornelius. Uh -huh. C L I. N-I-A-S. Every virtue is perfected, as was shown by us in the beginning, from reason, deliberate choice, and power. See, we've seen those three words again. No, every virtue is perfected, as was shown by us in the beginning, from reason, deliberate choice, and power. This has come up by. We've seen this from most of the Pythagoreans now, so we're going to assume that's the teachings. I'm making the deliberate choice to powerfully read this, to use my power and reason to read. The fragments of the Pythagoreans. Each of these, however, is not by itself a part of virtue, but the cause of it. Can we cause virtue by reason, deliberate choice, and power? Since such, therefore, as have the intellective and Gnostic part of the virtue, vis-a-vis -vis such as have the theoretical virtues, mm -hmm are denominated skillful and intelligent, but such as have the ethical and pre-elective part of it are denominated useful and equitable, such as have the ethical and political virtues. <laughs> what? Turn it on. Downstairs. No, what we do later. Since, however, man is naturally adapted to act unjustly from ex exciting causes. You see, from exciting causes, you act unjustly. We, we get too excited. <laughs> Since, however, man is naturally adapted to act unjustly from exciting causes. And there, these are three. Okay. The love of pleasure and corporeal enjoyments, avarice and the accumulation of wealth and ambition and suppress, surpassing those that are equal and similar to him. All right, so there's jealousy, there's pleasure, corporeal enjoyments. There's <laughs> that. And then there's avarice, accumulation of wealth. I suppose... All those lead to fighting and stuff, right? Hmm. I could fight over all the beautiful women, or I might want to fight over wealth, or I might... What page are you now? Hmm? What? What page are you? 
Oh, it's Clinias, C-L-I-N-I-A-S. Page 167. And the fragments. Uh -huh. Once again, we could say, Since our man is naturally adapted to act unjustly from exciting causes, and these are three. So, the exciting causes. Love of pleasure, incorporeal enjoyments, avarice in the accumulation of wealth, uh -huh. and ambition in surpassing those who that are equal and similar to him. This being the case, it is necessary to know that it is possible to oppose uh, to the, these such things as procure fear, shame, and desire in men, vis-a-vis -vis fear through the laws, shame through the gods, and desire through the energies of reason. Hence it is necessary that youth should be taught from the first to honor the gods and the laws. Uh -huh. They just talk about laws like they want laws. Yeah, but they would have to have their own Pythagorean laws. For from these it will be manifest that every human work and every kind of human life by the participation of sanctity and piety will sail prosperously over the sea of generation. I think that is the that is the completion of a Corneas. It's a one page. It's really a fragment. Uh -huh. So is the end again? For these it will be manifest that every human work and every kind of human life by the participation of sanctity and piety will sail prosperously over the sea of generation. That's all for Corneas. Uh, so we continue with now, it seems like the, Theagas, T-H-E-A-G-E-S, on his treatise on the virtues. We encountered him before, so we're going to just continue. We're trying to find that alternative, because Paul Tillich said that you can either have to be a Christian or your only other choice is to be a Stoic. Uh -huh. Hmm. Does that seem strange? Mm -hmm. There must be another choice somewhere. Hmm. Could be Pythagoreanism. Uh -huh. We're reading T-H-E-A-G-E-S on his treatise on the virtues. The principles of all virtue are three. Now we're getting all these... Here we go again. Now, now it's knowledge, power, and deliberate choice, which is similar because it's just saying, he said before, reason, deliberate choice, and power. So they're just equating knowledge to reason, maybe. And knowledge, indeed, is that by which we contemplate and form a judgment of things. Power is, as it were, a certain strength of the nature. Now, a certain strength. What is that strength? 
power is, as it were, a certain strength of nature from which we derive our subsistence and is that which gives stability to our actions. Deliberate choice is, as it were, certain hands of the soul by which we are impelled to and lay hold on the objects of our choice. The order of the soul also subsists as follows. One part of it is the reasoning power. Another part is anger. And another is desire. Here we go, here the way they partition it. Hmm. It's interesting. The reasoning power, indeed, is that which has dominion over knowledge. Anger is that which rules over the ardent impulses of the soul. And desire is that which willingly rules over appetite. <laughs> they have a three-way thing between reason, anger, and desire. Right? Okay. It's a little bit different, uh, division, but still similar. When therefore these three pass into one, as to exhibit one co-adaptation, we can harmonize these three together in a co-adaptation. The reason, anger, and desire, if you, these three pass into one, so as to exhibit one co-adaptation, what are three now? The three, dear, are reason, anger, and desire. Of what? Three of what? Oh. What did you read earlier? Hmm. The order, okay, the order of the soul also subsists as follows. One part of it is the reasoning power, another part is anger, another is desire, and the reasoning power is, indeed is that which has dominion. Over knowledge, anger is that which rules over the ardent impulses of the soul, and desire is that which willingly rules over appetite. When, therefore, these three pass into one as to exhibit one co-adaptation, then virtue and concord are produced in the soul. But when they are seditious uh, and divulsed, uh, from each other, then vice and discord are generated in the soul. All right, so if you don't have a good mix, if you don't have a harmonious mix of reason, anger, and desire, you have basically vice. What if you just have all anger or all desire? Or, right? Exactly. I mix. It's an order. When they are seditious, the virtue when then virtue and concord are produced in the soul. When they are seditious, divorced from each other, then vice and discord are generated in the soul. And when the reasoning power prevails over the irrational parts of the soul, then endurance, continence are produced. Endurance, indeed, is the retention of pains, but countenance is the abstinence from pleasures. Now, we abstain from pleasures. 
But when the irrational parts of the soul prevail over the reasoning power, then effeminacy, see now this word here, effeminacy, effeminacy, effeminacy. Alexa, can you define the word effeminacy? The noun sea is usually defined as the salt waters that cover the greater part of the Earth's surface. No. The adjective sea is usually defined as a relating to. It's the wrong word. That's the wrong word. Now, if you don't say it right, she doesn't get it. Okay. Fem. A femme a nasi. I can look it up, Jester. Is the manifestation of traits in a man or man, boy or man that are more associated with feminine nature? It's just. All right, it's just. All right, so we know what it means. I just didn't know. The feminacy and incontinence are produced. Well. It's a little bit misogynistic to say that women are irrational. <laughs> Back at this time, a woman is a weakling. Yeah, even Socrates, you indeed. It's like a woman. If you're being weak, you're like a woman. Effeminacy, indeed, is flying from pain, but incontinence in the be- in the being vanquished by pleasures. When, however, the better part of the soul governs, then the less excellent part is governed, and the former leads, but the latter follows, and both consent and are concordant with each other, then virtue and every good are generated in the whole soul. When likewise the appetitive follows the reasoning power of the soul, then temperance is produced. But when this is the case with the irascible part, fortitude is produced, and when it takes place in all the parts of the soul, then justice is the result. For justice is that which separates all the vices and all the virtues of the soul from each other. And justice is a certain established order of the apt conjunction of the parts of the soul and perfect and supreme virtue. For every good is contained in this, but the other goods of the soul cannot subsist without this. Hence justice possesses great strength, both among gods and men. For this virtue contains the bond by which the whole and the universe are held together, and also by which gods and men are connected. Justice, therefore, is said to be Themis among the celestial, but Deci among the terrestrial gods, and law among men. These assertions, however, are indications and symbols that justice is the supreme virtue. Hence, virtue, when it consists in contemplating and judging, is called prudence. When in sustaining things of a dreadful nature, it is denominated fortitude. We keep hearing that word. Fortitude is like being to sustain yourself. When in restraining pleasure, temperance. Uh, 
So, in the face of dreadful things, we have to have fortitude and in restraining from pleasure, we need temperance. And when in abstaining from gain and from injuring others, neighbors, justice. All right, we're abstaining from gain and injuring our neighbors. That's justice. We should not hurt our neighbors and not take all their money and not profit and take all their money from them. <laughs> that would be justice. <laughs> right? It makes sense. It's all common sense. Uh -huh. Moreover, the arrangement of virtue according to right reason and the transgression of its contrary to right reason produce in the former case a tendency to the decorous as the final mark and in the latter the frustration of it. The decorous, however, is that which ought to be, and this does not require either addition or ablation. Since it is that which it is requisite to be, but the indecorous there, but of the indecorous there are two species, one of which is excess, and the other defect. Is that excess and defect. You see, on the decorous, you have to be somewhere in between. You cannot have excess, mm. like a baroque style. The excess indeed is more, but deficiency is less than is decorous. Uh -huh. I mean, there's the right amount. You have to have the necessary. You've got to have the right amount. Uh -huh. Virtue also is a certain habit of the decorous, so hence it is directly both a summit and a medium. So virtue is both a summit and a medium. Virtue. Virtue also is a certain habit of the decorous. Hence so, it is directly both a summit and a medium. For thus things that are decorous are both media and summits. They are media indeed because they fall between excess and deficiency. Here we have almost the middle way. So the decorum is between excess. I mean, you don't need the decor decorations, right? Decorations. Like Moder we almost have the, the middle way or moderation here. You could have excess or too little, too little or too much. Don't have too much or too little. <laughs> don't eat too much and don't eat too little. And don't have too much money or too little money. <laughs> hmm. What do you think? Mm -hmm. Okay. Well but they are summits because they are not do not require either addition or oblation, for they are the very things themselves which they ought to be. Since, however, the virtue of manners is conversant with the passions, but the passions, pleasure and pain are supreme. It is evident that virtue does not consist in extirpating the passions of the soul, pleasure and pain, but in co-harmonizing them. They want you co-harmonized. For neither does health, which is a certain apt mixture of the powers of the body, consist in expelling the cold and the hot, 
the moist and the dry, but in these being appropriately mingled together. <laughs> You're supposed to be mingled together with hot and dry, moist and dry, cold and hot. Is, Mingle them. Why don't you appropriately so, mingle together? Are you Have you appropriately mingled together hot and cold and moist and dry? For it is, as it were, a certain symmetry of these. Uh -huh. Have you been mixing symmetry? Mm -hmm. Do you have symmetry? Mm -hmm. Thus, too, in music, concord does not consist in expelling the sharp and the flat, but when these are co-harmonized, then concord is produced and dissonance is exterminated in a similar manner, the hot and the cold, the moist and the dry, being harmoniously mingled together, health is produced and disease destroyed. But when anger and desire are co-harmonized, the vices and the other passions are extirpated, and the virtues and manners are ingenerated. Deliberate choice, however, in beautiful conduct, is the greatest peculiarity of the virtue of manners. For it is possible to use reason and power without virtue. Right? It's possible. <laughs> it's possible to use reason and power without virtue, but it is not. It's most often used. Yeah. How often do you see virtue? Do you think Miss A has virtue or only reason and power? Miss hmm? A. How could she have virtue? She has reason goodness, and has really, power. Or it is not possible to use reason and power without virtue, but it is not possible. It, but it is not possible to use deliberate choice without it. Without virtue. Oh wait, is for it is possible to use reason and power without virtue, but it is not possible to use deliberate choice without it. For deliberate choice indicates the dignity of manners. Hence also the reasoning power subduing by force. Anger and desire produces countenance and endurance. He's telling you to use reasoning power subduing by force anger and desire. Virtue, to produce continence and endurance. And again, is that like me going out by force, using my reason to get up by, and go out by force to, to increase my endurance by exercising? <laughs> Therefore, to increase my power. Yeah, you're a monarch. Mm -hmm. 
and can create yeah, even more yeah. reasoning power and then more endurance. Uh -huh. mm. yeah. And then I can endure even reading even more stuff. <laughs> uh -huh. And I can increase the meditation time to extremely long periods of time. Uh -huh. And again, when the reasoning power is violently dethroned by the irrational parts, uh -huh. Then incontinence and effeminacy is produced. Do you think if I dethrone reason, I could become feminine? Or countenance? Does that make you feminine? Since dispositions, however, such dispositions, however, of the soul as these are half-perfect virtues and perfect vices, for the reasoning power of the soul is according to its natural subsistence in a healthy, but the rational parts are in a diseased condition. He's saying that this reasoning power is healthy, which I guess it is. If I eat, exercise, and meditate, and eat very reasonably, will I be healthy? But the irrational parts are in a diseased condition. And so far, indeed, as anger and desire are governed and led by the rational part of the soul, countenance and endurance becomes virtues. But so far as this is affected by violence, and not voluntarily, they become vices. You can't have violence. For it is necessary that virtues should perform such things as are fit, not with pain, but with pleasure. Should perform such things. Uh, we should perform these things with pleasure, virtue with pleasure. <laughs> Again, so far as anger and desire govern the reasoning power of femininity and incontinence are produced, which are certain vices. But so far as they gratify the passions with pain, knowing that they are an erroneous in consequence of the eye of the soul being sane, so far as this is the case, they are not vices. Hence it is evident that virtue must necessarily perform what is fit voluntarily. We must volunteer to... That which is not, involuntary indeed, not, not being without pain and fear, and that which is voluntary, not subsisting without pleasure and delight. Uh -huh. By division also it will at the same time be found that this is the case, for knowledge and the perception of things. Uh -huh. <laughs> For knowledge and the perception of things are the providence of the rational part of the soul, but power pertains to the irrational part. Here now, power pertains to the irrational part. But not to be able to resist pain or to vanquish pleasure is the peculiarity of the irrational part of the soul. For not to be able to resist pain or vanquish pleasure is the peculiarity of the rational part of the soul. So that part is irrational. You can't resist pain or 
vanquish pleasure. If you can't resist pleasure, then you're irrational. <laughs> Do you think that if we have uncontrolled eating of sugar, we're irrational? <laughs> right? <laughs> But deliberate choice consists in both these, vis-a-vis -vis in the rational, and also in the irrational part. For it consists of Danoa, Danoa, Dianoa. Remember, Dianoa is that's discrimination. What? Part of the brain that. Reason? It's reasoning then. Okay. For it consists of dianoia and appetite, of which dianoia indeed pertains to the rational. All right, it pertains to the rational. But appetite to the irrational part. Man, I this appetite thing. I'm going to feel like every time I'm hungry, I'm having an irrational it's part. It's rational part, <laughs> uh, part of order and good. You know, the, uh -huh. the irrational part, the part of disorder, lack of order. If, that, if I eat too much, am I irrational? Uh -huh. Hence, every virtue consists in a co-adaptation of the parts of the soul, and both will and deliberate choice entirely subsist in virtue. Universally, therefore, virtue is a certain co-adaptation of the irrational parts of the soul to the rational part. It's kind of interesting because, you know, when you have desire, right, you can harness that energy of desire or whatever with rational things to... It depends what you yeah. desire follows. Do you accept the fact that you have an irrational part? Yeah. Do you feel that you're only just pure rational? Are you just all rational? You're not 100% rational though, are you? <laughs> Nobody is. I could, if I could just co-adapt my irrational part with my rational part, then I'll be universally virtuous. Virtue, however, is produced through pleasant and pain, pleasure. Virtue, however, is produced through pleasure and pain, receiving the boundary of that which is fit. Hmm. For true virtue is nothing else than the habit of that which is fit. But the fit, or the decorous, is that which ought to be, and the unfit or indecorous is that which ought not to be. Of the indecorous, however, these are two species, vis-a-vis -vis excess and defect. And excess, indeed, is more than it is fit, but defect is less than is fit. But since the fit is that which ought to be and is both a summit and a middle, this is a summit indeed because it is neither it I, neither requires ablation nor addition, but it is a middle. 
because it subsists between excess and defect. Here we have this again, moderation of the middle way, I think. Is that what he means? Hmm? The fit, however, and the unfit are to each other as the equal and the unequal, but that that which is arranged and that which is without arrangement, and both the two former and the two latter are finite and infinite. The equal footnote and the equal and that which is arranged belong to the order of bound, and the unequal and that which is without arrangement to the order of infinity. The bound and infinity are the two great principles of things after the inevitable cause of all. See the third book of my translation of Proclus on the theology of Plato. That would be Thomas Taylor speaking. And the food to note. On this account, the parts of the unequal are referred to the middle, but not to each other. For the angle is called obtuse, which is greater than the right angle, but that is called acute, which is less than the right angle. The right line also in a circle is greater, which surpasses that which is drawn from the center, and the day is longer indeed, which exceeds that of the equinox. Diseases likewise of the body are generated through the body, becoming more hot or more cold than is proper. For that which is more hot than is fit exceeds moderation, and that which is more cold than is fit is below mediocrity. The soul also and such things as pertain to it have the disposition and analogy for Audacity, indeed, is an excess of the decorous and the endurance of things of a dreadful nature. But timidity, timidity, is a deficiency of the decorous. Now we have timidity and audacity. And the prodigality is an excess of what is fit in the expenditure of money. But illiberality is a deficiency in this, and rage, indeed, is an excess of the decorous and the impulse of the irrational part of the soul. But insensibility is a deficiency of this. So rage is an excess, and insensibility is a deficiency. Does insensibility mean like no... No reaction at all. The same reasoning likewise applies to the opposition of the other dispositions of the soul. It is unnecessary, however, that virtue, since it is a habit of the decorous and a medium of the passions, should neither be wholly impassive nor immoderately passive. For impassivity indeed causes the soul to be unimpelled and to be without an enthusiastic tendency to the beautiful in conduct. Do you think we need an enthusiastic tendency to the beautiful in conduct? Hmm?
an enthusiastic tendency. Or should we just have impassivity? We should. It says, for impassivity indeed causes the soul to be unimpelled and to be without an enthusiastic tendency to the beautiful in conduct. But immoderate passivity causes it to be full of perturbation and inconsiderate. It is necessary, therefore, that passion should so present itself to the view in virtue as shadow and outline in a picture. For the animated and the delicate and that which imitates the truth in conjunction with goodness of colors are especially affected in a picture through these, through the shadow and outline. But the passions of the soul are animated by the natural incitation and enthusiasm for virtue. Can you have enthusiasm of virtue? For virtue is generated from the passions when generated again subsists together with them just as that which is well harmonized consists of the sharp and the flat and that which is well mingled uh, consists of the hot and the cold and that which is in equilibrium derives its equality of weight from the heavy and the light. It is not therefore necessary to take away the passions of the soul. Uh See, now you don't take away. You're supposed to have zeal and passion. Ultra. It is not therefore necessary to take away the passions of the soul, for neither would this be profitable. But it is requisite that they should be co-harmonized with the rational part in conjunction with fitness and mediocrity. So he's saying have ultra seal and passion for the truth. Uh But it has to be harmonized, uh, co-harmonized with the rational part Mm -hmm. in fitness. So we're talking about with fitness. So now we have fitness. This is like fitness enthusiasm. It's like being a fitness enthusiast. <laughs> well, I'm I'm selfishly manipulating this reading to my <laughs> I'm selfishly manipulating because I haven't quite harmonized the irrational part of my soul. <laughs> It's not, uh... I've learned that, uh, that I have too much enthusiasm for... <laughs> I have to have be more passive. Uh, I have way too much enthusiasm for the fitness uh, of the soul. Uh-huh. I don't. All I care about anymore is my body. I don't care about my soul anymore. My soul is my body. I've just become my body. I'm using my reason to 
<laughs> All I care about is playing tennis, and I don't care. I could care less whether my soul. What? Continue. Well, I think we've finished a, a long chapter here. Continue. Yeah, we've done, uh, I think, uh, we've done a reasonable, reasonable, moderate and balanced amount, which we've harmonized into not being excess or being immoderate. So I think we should do a, a reasonable amount. Not too long or too short. Well, yes, we. The other one was a little short thing, but we we the three points that come across to most of the Pythagoreans is reason, deliberate choice, and power. But this got into it more on harmonizing it. The co-adapt. We learned how to mix them too well. So now we're we're trying to mix them to get the perfect mix. To harmonize them together with symmetry in the middle way or the moderate way, and and not get too female about it by losing our power. Hmm. Right. <laughs> but the main thing we learned was the enthusiastic tendency to the beautiful in conduct. Hmm. I guess you you've got to be enthusiastic about taking up the path, uh-huh. right? With zeal and passion. It's really a kind of. Uh, well, he had said, uh, he said here, it is there, it is not therefore necessary to take away the passions of the soul. <laughs> no, we're not taking them away. We're applying them to reason, <laughs> with the reasoning part. We had read the long part was from Theagas, T-H-E-A-G-E-S, on his treatise on the virtues. Uh-huh. So what's... Uh